Welcome to the Newtown Big Dreams Podcast, an interview-style talk show that's your gateway to the fabulous and fascinating people who relocated to start a new life. Whether you're new to our podcast or your city, our fellow neighbors from across Canada, North America, and the entire English-speaking world share their stories of reaching new horizons and big dreams. So sit back and relax as we navigate in-depth and intimate conversations with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, executives, creatives, and anyone who can share their story about their new town, Big Dreams. And now, here's your host, Luke J. Menkes. So, uh, good morning, everybody. I'm here with Chris Howard, and he's in Redondo Beach. So, same time zone as me. Uh, Chris calls himself the architect of dreams. And he's been blessed to help transform the lives of millions of people around the planet. He is a global phenomenon. Chris is one of the most prominent figures in personal development and, and lifestyle turnaround. Uh, he helps people to create performance breakthrough results physically, emotionally, spiritually, and financially. He is a three times best-selling author, and he's done 100 million in sales globally of his seminars and coaching worldwide. Uh, Chris has a black belt in mindset with three additional black belts that span his 40 years in the martial arts. He doesn't look old enough to have 40 years of martial arts to me, but uh, he's got a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, twin dragon kung fu, and Chinese goju. Did I pronounce that you correct? Goju? Spot on. You're a master. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Chris, Chris is known in the personal development industry as the trainer of trainers and coach of coaches. And he is a big believer in the idea that great leaders build other leaders. So super excited to talk to Chris this morning. Thanks for getting up so early. Uh, yeah, not a problem. I think we're both early risers, huh? Yeah, I think so. It's uh, 6 a.m. here on the West Coast. So, um, Chris, tell us a little about about yourself. Have you always lived in Redondo Beach, California? Well, you know, I've I've moved around quite a bit. When I was uh, 18, I moved out of the country and I worked for uh, Club Med. So I worked at the hotel resort industry, and then um, uh, after and I traveled around till I was like 24 years old. Came back here to California. Lived in Hawaii for a year, uh, went and uh, lived in Bali for a couple of years. Um, so yeah, I've always been, I've been uh, on the road. And even when I lived here, I used, I would travel so much for work. So I would go, I would teach seminars around the world. And I, I remember one year, 2017, I was here four weeks the entire year. So wow. road, road traveling type of guy. Right. So I guess not, not as much traveling right now. Well, yeah, not as, as much. Um, I, you know, I have a hard time not traveling still. Um, so I did go, I went out to Florida a couple of times and, uh, went to Hawaii last month. So, <laughs> right. Nice. Yeah. So is it, um, are you able to travel within the U S or do they yeah. still make you quarantine? Um, well, like in Hawaii, uh, you know, at the time that we're recording this now and the time that we're doing this podcast now, um, in Hawaii, I went there last month and I had to do a COVID test going over a COVID test when I arrived. Um, but then it was pretty, 
uh, pretty similar to how it's always been, except for, you know, the masks and stuff like that. But, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, was able to ride, uh, travel, uh, pretty easily. Florida was really easy to travel to when I went out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's interesting times, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. It's, um, we're, we're so used to crossing the border here, um, from Canada to the States. Now, if we do it, we have to quarantine for two weeks. Wow. So a lot of people are avoiding it. You know, I'm dying to get down to California and Florida and right, uh, just like a big ordeal right now to do it. So yeah, no, I hear you. Huh? I hear you. So, yeah, it's a well. I think for a while there, uh, w- w- I mean, was the Canada was the Canadian border always open to us? Was it just with the quarantine, or did they close it down? Yeah. So um, we, uh, President Trump was the first one to close the Canadian border. Got it. Uh, before that, it was really easy, you know, yeah. for, for centuries, really, to, to cross. You show some ID, ask a couple of questions, and you're in. And that's right. it, you know? Yeah. No, it's... Uh, now it's a little tougher. Yeah. New new times. New times. I want to go back. I still have a... I've got, like, two plane tickets for Canada, so... <laughs> really? Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Well, um... So you talk a lot about uh, creating our own reality. How, how does a person do that? Um, well, I've got the fancy way of explaining it. Um, <laughs> you know, I think I, I think a lot of stuff that I've been around the block in, in personal development. I've been in the field for 25 years and I've studied very pragmatic ways of looking at the world as well as very esoteric ways of looking at the world. Um in my time in the field, uh, kind of the fancy way of looking at it. We'll go, let's go esoteric here for a second. Um, sure. Um, you know, the, uh, kind of esoteric psych- psychological quantum physics spin on things. Um, we have, uh, the basis of our personality, which is uh, made up of certain filters, if you will. And this is just a model for better understanding how we create our subjective experience of reality, but we've got our values, our beliefs, our um, attitudes, or the language that we have, all of these types of things we would look at as being called filters inside of our mind. And these filters make up the matrix of the basis of our personality. Well, when we think about how we sort in the world or what we look for to be real in our world as individuals, um, we're living in this quantum soup of pure potentiality, right? We know that uh, at the sub-microscopic level, which means at a smaller level than we can see with the microscope, that everything's all just energetic, uh, you know, the atoms and the molecules and the subatomic particles are just whirling in their... Uh, their um, they're more of a process that's happening at this uh, subatomic level. So if we do to look at right now, I'm holding a, a cup in my hand, but if we were to look at the cup through a, 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 a high powered microscope, we'd see more space than we see solid matter. What gives the illusion of matter is the density and the arrangement of the subatomic particles and the atoms and the molecules and the rate of vibration give the illusion right. of matter. And I, I heard a great, um, I heard a great metaphor for this the other day. Like if we were to look at a bunch of blades like spinning on a wheel and those blades were to spin so fast, you might stop seeing the blades and you might just see a disc 
it would give the illusion of a disc because the blades were spinning so fast. Think of like a, a fan that's spinning so fast that the, the blades kind of disappear and they give the illusion of this disc that we see. Well, we have this illusion to everything that we see. We, we look at a cup and we see the cup, but at a process level, if we were to look at it through that high-powered microscope, we see all this, all this space. There's actually more space than matter. If you sucked all the, the space, not out of just this cup, but out of the whole world, you could put what was left in terms of matter on a teaspoon. So that's, right. yeah, that's how much space there is. So there's all this, and there's all this activity yep. at the subatomic oh, part, at the subatomic. Sorry, just, um, froze. Oh, I froze? There. Can you hear me? I can hear you. It's on my screen. You're frozen. Oh, can you hear me still? Oh, you're back. Yeah, you're back now. Okay. Just the internet. <laughs> yeah. So at the subatomic particle or subatomic level, there's all this 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 whirl of activity that's happening, but through our perceptual constraints unique to us as human beings, we have the illusion of matter and we see the world mm -hmm. the way that we do. So the world takes the, the form that it does after it passes through our perceptual constraints unique to us as humans. What causes us to view the world the way that we do is this matrix of filters inside of ourselves, our, the matrix of our beliefs, of our values, of our attitudes. So you look at the world in one way. I look at the world in a completely different way based on who we are, based on um, the basis of our personality to a large extent. You know, right. uh, um, this bugged Einstein, by the way, the, the, the idea that, that reality is subjective. Um, and Einstein was like, well, you mean to tell me if the world takes the place that or takes the form that it does after it passes through my, my perceptual constraints, after it passes through my eyes, my ears, the ways that I take in information, do you mean to tell me that the moon only exists as a bunch of, of, of subatomic particles and uh, the, this whirl of activity. But once I look for the moon to exist, it takes the form of the moon because I've now looked at it as an observer. And quantum mm -hmm. physics tells us that, yes, that's true. Quantum physics tells us that until we look for an atom to exist through a high-powered microscope, we can only, it's only a probability. And we actually bring the atom into the existences, into existences we know it when we look for it. So the observer mm -hmm. always affects that which is observed. What that means to us is that if we change the filters inside our head, if we change our values, if we change our beliefs, if we change our attitudes, the way that the world appears for us changes as well. We all of a sudden see the world in a new way. We have mm -hmm. a change in beliefs. The world shows up in a different way. We have a change in values. The world shows up in a different way. Um, isn't it true that there's some people that go through their whole lives only seeing the poverty that exists? And then there's right. other people that go through seeing the opportunity that exists. Um, the eyes have to be trained to see. Our perceptions are learned perceptions. So when Warren Buffett looks at a financial statement of a company, he sees something different than you, and or, you or I would see. Right. Um, because his eyes have been trained to see the opportunity to see what's not working in that company. He can evaluate things in a, in a different way. And so yeah. when we change ourselves, the world has to change. When we change the observer, that which is observed has to change as a result of it. So that's one mm -hmm. level of how we create our reality. For sure. And that makes sense. Um, I think the problem that a lot of people have is they think that changing that subjective reality is really difficult. Like we've been programmed by our parents, by our schools, 
by everything that we've read and listened to and the things that we choose to focus on. And let's say we want to make a change, like quit smoking or lose weight or uh, stop viewing the world so negatively, you know. People call some of their relatives, you know, very grouchy and very negative. And right, right. How, how do we break free from that if we've been that way for years? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's the that's part of the illusion is that is that change is difficult, that it has mm. to be difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, we say that a problem well stated is a problem half solved. So awareness is the first step to change. When we become aware that we, that we are the root cause of the issues that show up in our world, then there's something we can do about it. And one of the things that I'll teach, and so I teach different seminars and trainings and through my writings and different things, I'll teach how to how to change a value, how to change a belief. People don't know how to. They never taught us right. how, to, how do we change these things. So mm-hmm. once we understand how we can go in and change these things, we can become mechanics for the mind. Um, you know, in certain schools of psychological thought, they'll say, boy, it's so hard to change your values. Values don't change. But yes, they do. A value right. is defined as what's important to us. And your values change all the time. You know, you get COVID that hits, all of a sudden values may change. You know, maybe yeah. your family rises in terms of its level of importance or uh, maybe, uh, you, you know, different things may rise in terms. Of, I had I had at one point, I lost my business. Here I, I did $100 million in sales. I lost that business. And when I lost everything, I rose in terms of my level of importance because before I had been a human doing rather than a human being, I was, my business was the most important thing in the world. But once I lost that, it made me reevaluate my entire life. And I thought, no, Chris, you're more important. So my val, I had a values change, a value shift. So these types of things change all the time anyway. Um, What most people don't understand is that we can actually change them with volition to design our life the way that we want. Mm Mm-hmm. Can you give us some quick tips on how, how that happens, how, how the process starts yeah. to change, like consciously change it? Well, I think that, once again, when we say that awareness is the first step to change, so just to take it back to a real practical example for you, once again, you say somebody wants to stop smoking. Okay, well, mm-hmm. if they're smoking, uh, having a problem like that is all, virtually always a values problem, right? So if somebody has, a money, uh, yeah, somebody has a money problem, nine times out of ten, that's a values issue. If they have a health issue, nine times out of 10, it's a values issue. A relationship issue, nine times out of 10, is a values issue. Somebody that is a smoker um, uh, is somebody who does not likely value their health above everything else, right? So mm-hmm. health is likely not the most important thing to that person in their life. Right. Um, or health can be very important and they just have a values conflict, um, and we values conflicts can stop us too, but in mo- most instances, that's not going to be their highest value. So recognition of that is, is, uh, first and foremost. So once we can put and here, I'll give you an example. I was working with a, uh, an actor in Hollywood and she was on the, uh, television show days of our lives. And her manager asked me if I could work with her because she uh, needed to lose 15 pounds because the character that she was playing in the show was uh, was going to, they were going to redefine the character and she was going to become more of a vixen. And they're like, you right. got to lose 15 pounds. <laughs> and I went up to her house in the Hollywood Hills and her manager said, the only problem is she's not losing the weight 
and she's uh, she's stuck. And I said, okay, let me go. Let me go talk to her. So I sat down with her, and I said, what's the problem? And she said, well, she said I want to lose this weight. I need to lose this weight for the role, but at the same time, I don't really want to lose the weight because I'm I'm angry. And I said, well, what are you angry about? She said, I'm angry about Hollywood's expectations of women society's expectations of women that we have to look a certain way in order to be the, and, and she says I'm angry so we can see how she might be stuck so she's got the yeah. incongruence within herself and I said okay well let me find out what your values are I said let's let's let let me ask you this I said what's important to you in life and she proceeded to give me a list of values she said things like my children freedom happiness and she gave me this whole list of values after we got the entire list of values, uh, I turned the list to her and I said, well, do you see anything that's missing? And she said, she looked it over. She said, no. I said, did you notice that health is nowhere in there? Mm. And she said, oh, wow, I didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. And so now the conversation shifted from society's expectations of women and having to lose weight through her role to she didn't value health. That, that superseded all the previous conversations. So the stuck point, she was stuck over here about society's expectations of women. We shifted the entire conversation by the, by the end of, I spent probably an hour and a half with her. By the end of that hour and a half, health had become one of her highest values, which a lot of people could just say, well, it's just reexamining priorities at some level. But, you know, we, we also have processes that I'll work with from a, from a hypnotic perspective and things to install new values. By the end, she had had a shift in her values. The old arguments disappeared. She mm -hmm. ended up going out. She not only lost the 15 pounds for the role, and this was after an hour and a half session, and people go see a personal trainer for months and months and months trying to lose 15 pounds. We did it in an hour and a half. She lost the 15 pounds. She ended up, she got the role like she was meant to. She ended up becoming the spokesperson for either Jenny Craig or Weight Watchers or something like that. Uh, and then she became the host of the television show, The Biggest Loser. Mm. So she, wow. yeah, she set a whole new trajectory for herself and her life. And from my perspective, all of that happened as a result of a value shift. So when we change our values, the whole world changes around us. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. Um, one of the things I, I've noticed in life is um, if I feel like I'm, on the path that I want to be on, I'm happy. So speed, uh, as I get older, ironically, speed is not as important to me as it was when I was younger. Um, if I feel like I'm heading, like, for example, this podcast, I started in 2018. I had a lot of procrastination and I made excuses and I decided I just want to be a consistent content producer. And once I made that decision, you know, before you know it, I'm up to 180 interviews now. Wow. Um, so, you know, when I was thinking, geez, I'd really love to be have 200 episodes, that was kind of overwhelming. It was depressing. Now, uh, it happened really fast, but I, I didn't care so much about how fast it happened. I was happy with what I was doing, right? Right. But a lot of people have this idea, like, I got to speed this up, right? I want to lose weight. It's taking too long. I need to make more money. It's taken too long. How, how do we accelerate the process? How do we speed that up? Well, I think it sounds to me like the way that you went about it 
did accelerate the process because you, you know, a lot of people think if you fall in love with the dream, that's what changes your life. For me, if you mm. fall in love with the process, that's what changes your life because, right. uh, you know, people fall in love with the idea of having the business that they want. But if you fall in love with the idea of, of being the business owner and you fall in love with the process of building the business, the end result will come. Uh, it's by Marshall, one of my martial arts instructors, Horian Gracie said, Chris, he said, the belt costs $7.99. The knowledge is priceless. The, um, you know, you can fall in love with the idea of having the black belt. Um, but that's not what gives you the black belt. What gives you the black belt is when you fall in love with the process of being the person who, who earns that black belt. That's the person who shows up day in, day out. You fall mm -hmm. in love with the process of going to the gym. You fall in love with the process of working out and eating right. You're going to get in ideal shape. So mm -hmm. falling in love with the process, which is exactly, if we look at what you did there, you, you got rid of the idea of, boy, I've got to do, uh, I've got to hit this goal of doing 200. And instead I'm going to be, who am I going to be on a daily basis, a consistent content producer? And pretty soon you find yourself at that, at that goal. Um, yeah. it, you know, Orion also told me, uh, Orion Gracie, he said, champions are not made in tournaments. The awarding of the belt, the awarding of the trophy, the awarding of the gold medal, the taking the company public, the million dollars in the bank. Champions are not made in tournaments. Champions are made in training. Champions are made in the daily routine that you go through. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to break down your process, you just started being the content producer and then the goals, the goals surely come. Yeah. So true. So yeah. true. Um, what do you think about addictions? Is that the same thing as we're talking about? So I know a lot of people say, look, I, I want to be healthy, but I just love chocolate cakes so much. Like, right. It makes me feel, it makes me feel great. Right. Yeah. Um, I know, I know kind people of, who drink, right? drink too much. They, they say that, you know, they say, I really enjoy drinking. Right. You know, but they know I drink too much. You know, it's affecting my life, but I enjoy it. Now, is that an excuse or what is going on in the brain with addiction, do you think? Yeah, no, I think that, uh, well, I mean, in both of those examples, uh, you know, somebody may enjoy something that is not good for them, right? Yeah. Something that... Um, but if it's being used as an escape methodology, right, I feel I don't feel good. Therefore, I'm going to do this thing um, to relieve myself or to give me some escape from life mm. um, that can become a, a problem. And therein lies the, you know, the 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 addictive tendency may be enhanced by that because they're escaping something. They're running away from something. Um, I see. The, uh, you know, one of the major impetuses, if you will, for addiction is the, uh, the inability to handle their intolerable internal world. So, right. I, so I've got this internal world that's intolerable and therefore I'm going to escape into, uh, sex or television or drinking or drugging or whatever, you know, smoking or whatever that activity is. That gives me some momentary reprieve, but in the long term does me more harm than good. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that when we look at how do you handle that, the first thing that we have to do is, is learn how to make our, in, uh, our internal world tolerable rather than intolerable. 
Um, you know, well, many of us, if not all of us, are prisoners of our own consciousness. We're prisoners of our own mind. Um, if, if we're living in chronic states of anger and sadness and fear and resentment and anxiety, uh, that causes us to have this intolerable internal world. So mm-hmm. the, the first step to dealing with addiction, um, well, first step could be to get rid of the, you know, to get rid of the, the uh, focal point of the addiction. Hence why when somebody goes into rehab or they go into, uh, you know, to deal with something like addiction, they, the first thing they have to do is get rid of, stop drinking, right? Stop drugging. Right. Because as long as you've got that uh, as a focal point, then it prevents you from dealing with the real underlying issues, which is what's happening inside of you. So they'll cut that off. And then once that's cut off, it's like, okay, now let's deal with your intolerable internal world and let's make it tolerable. And usually that comes as a result of, um, uh, or making that tolerable. You, that's, that's a re-education process, right? It's, it's Mm. the way we live our life, the way we manage our own psyche, the way we manage our own states of mind and emotion. That's what gets to be re-examined in a rehabilitation, in a life rehabilitation process. And many of us, um, can use life rehabilitation. My dear friend, Wayne Dyer, who's no longer with us, if you remember Wayne, uh, He, uh, you know, for throughout his life, he was a 12 step type guy and he was constantly looking for the source you know, to, to deal with his own addictions, his own compulsions in life. And I think a lot of people that uh, uh, may not think of themselves as being addicts or think of themselves as being alcoholics or think of themselves as being, uh, you know, somebody's addicted to things. We all have compulsions. And even mm-hmm. if we're playing it out on a more minor scale, it's oftentimes as a result of trying to deal with the intolerable internal world once again. So uh, the the benefit for those that have experienced addiction in their life, the kind of the, the, the hidden gift in that is that it helps you to heal. You know, the things get so bad that all of a sudden you have to take a look inside. It helps you to heal things that people might not heal otherwise. Um, so that's kind of the, uh, the hidden blessing in uh, and some of the bigger challenges that we might face is that they invariably cause us to look inside and say, what do I need to heal within myself? How am I living my life in a way that causes my internal world to be intolerable? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a number of different answers to that, depending on what the, the you know, the person's doing. Um, but your emotional well-being, your psychological well-being, once we get those things in check, um, a lot of those old problems can begin to disappear. That's why when somebody, uh, you know, I, I teach a lot of different techniques inside our programs to change people's thinking, to change their states of mind and emotion. But if somebody were to just adopt a meditation practice, for example, where they're able to silence their mind and stuff, that's going to deal with a lot of the, the, the old triggers that might have triggered negative mm-hmm. behavior. Um, yeah. So there's little things like that or maybe big things like that that can help us to change our lives in powerful ways. Totally. Yeah. Meditation, I think, is uh, something everybody should do mm. because when you sit there, you start to feel emotions. And I remember when I started doing that, I'm like, I got to check my phone. I realized that I was addicted to my devices. Right. And uh, the notifications and, you know, getting good news on a deal I was working on or whatever. Uh, that was a huge addiction for me. And I didn't even know it. Yeah, And I just realized it from just sitting there and I had this 
almost overpowering urge to go check my phone. I'm like, what the hell is that? Right. I don't need to check it. Right. I don't have a meeting for two hours. So, uh, yeah, it really brings awareness to what's going on inside. hundred percent. And it's so easy. I mean, to that point, it's so easy to get addicted to technology these days. I mean, it's being, you know, companies are spending billions trying to figure out how to make us addicted to technology. Um, Oh, sure. I, I don't know. Have you seen the new app, that clubhouse app? I've heard of it. Oh my God, this is crazy. Like, like, you know, it's like these soapboxes in cyberspace where people are just getting up and it's like these impromptu radio shows that are just bursting up where, but they're town hall radio shows where everybody gets to participate. And I'll sit on this app for five, six hours waiting to speak and stuff. Yeah. And people are spending their entire days on this app and it's just, uh, it's it's more addictive than than Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I mean, it just draws you in, and wow. and uh, you know it's it's easy to see why it's so addictive because it's also you you look at it and you go, there's opportunity here, um, there's stars that are being made in this space. But when you look at it, it's like uh, there's you know there's the, once again the blessing and the curse of mm-hmm. of modern technology. But it is yeah, uh, and, and meditation. You get back to how do you calm yourself? How do you become that human being rather than that human doing? Uh, you know there there's there's huge answers to be found in that. Um, but some of it's hard to break away from, isn't it? For sure. Uh- Chris, you mentioned you had a hundred million dollar business and you lost it. Could you share a little bit about that with us and what you learned from it? So now you're teaching people how to create breakthrough financial results. Yeah. Uh, but you had a point in time where you lost everything. So that must have been some hard lessons. Yeah. Yeah. And it was um, to keep it real. We had done a hundred million dollars in sales of our seminars around the world. Uh, and we did that uh, with and through promoters as well. Um, so mm-hmm. it wasn't m- money that we had uh, banked ourselves necessarily in every case, it was just, that's how much of our seminars we sold. But um, which to me speaks more to how much value we delivered in the marketplace. So we uh, had a, a major impact in the marketplace, but I lost everything. Yeah. I, um, uh, you know, I didn't pay enough attention to some contracts and uh, I, during a child support uh, case, my CFO, who was my business partner, uh, he replaced contracts that were legit contracts we had with falsified backdated documents that made it look like I sold the company to him and then he sold off the assets. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And, and which, and I had never really done that. I had never really sold the company to him and it took me a long time to figure out. And I I stayed stuck for about seven years as I was trying to figure out what happened and how it could have happened and angry and resentful and wanting to win in court and champion. And, and, you know, I stayed stuck for a long time in that. Um, and because, you know, I went from millions to penniless overnight, uh, literally lost everything that I had built for 10 years and what was my dream. And so I, and I felt justified by holding on to all of that, but mm-hmm. we can be justified. And a lot of people, as you're listening right now, you may feel justified holding on to anger or resentment towards somebody, but the only person that hurts is, is you, right? So, yeah. uh, Socrates famously said it's, uh, holding on to resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. And 
I was poisoning myself and I lived uh, stuck in that space for that seven years. Um, eventually I get some reprieve from it um, because I, I was, well, eventually what happened, I just finally, I'll kind of fast forward the story to the interesting part because I got so crippled by my own anger, so crippled by my own resentment, so crippled by my own way of, of uh, my, the prison of my own mind that I decided that I had to change and I had to let go of my resentments. Um, it's interesting because there's a lot of talk about forgiveness and people are like, you got to forgive the other person. But the path to forgiveness was not in forgiving another person. It was in letting go of the notion that the person had wronged me and looking rather for how I created my circumstances. How did I create a uh, this contractual issue? I signed contracts that I didn't know what they were. I didn't have a an attorney check those out. I didn't. And when I started looking at the things that Chris Howard did to harm myself, and you can take this right back to the smoking and the other types of issues that you talked about, eating the cake that you talked about. If we do actions that harm ourselves in some way, or if we fail to act in some way that does harm to ourselves. Um, like we fail to step up for ourselves, we fail to go to the gym. So the combination of our harmful acts or our harmful non-actions, those are things that once they're examined are things that we can repair. They're things that we can change because ultimately they flow from ourselves. And when we focus on that, rather than on how we've been wronged by other people or rather than uh, what other people have done, then we're that when we shift our focus to the things that we've done or the things that we failed to do, those are all things that we can repair. Those are all things that we have control over. And when yeah. we elevate the types of behaviors that we show up in the world with, we become a more evolved expression of ourselves and we become infinitely more powerful. And the, you know, the circumstances in our life, the situations that we create, will either spiral us downward to greater depths of despair or spiral us upward to greater heights of achievement and accomplishment. And all you and I can do as we go through life is, is, is look to evolve ourselves into becoming the most powerful beings that we can be as we navigate the playing field of life. And so yeah. the most useful place for us to focus if we want to live our best lives is going to be on our own behaviors, is going to be on our own uh, non-behaviors and and what behaviors we might need to bring in that would make us even more powerful. And so as I started to look at my own behaviors, stop looking at what other people had done to me, stop looking at how the world had wronged me, then all of a sudden I was free. I was free from mm -hmm. what's been called the tyranny of second causes. People, yeah. The second causes is looking at the other things that caused our misfortune in life and just looking and saying, how did I contribute to my misfortune and how right. can I change my own behaviors? And that, that's, that's what freed me ultimately. Yeah, that's awesome. I think people are kind of afraid to do that because they feel it, um, you know, somehow diminishes them. But uh, like you said, as soon as you do that, it's quite liberating because now you can start to look at solutions and, I, when I went through that process, I felt better almost immediately, Hundred percent. even though I still had almost nothing like I was broke. But as soon as I started to look for solutions and I started to feel like, Hey, I can actually do something. 
I didn't feel powerless anymore. So yeah. In the 12 step system, that's the, that's pretty much your fourth step in the 12 steps for anybody. 12 step fans where you do this moral inventory, right? Um, mm. The, I, I, I don't think of it quite in the same way that a 12 stepper would look at it. I, I think of it really in terms of what harmful actions that I create or, or non-actions. And I'll look, I'll typically think in concentric circles. What did I do that might have harmed myself, my family, my uh, community, mankind as a whole? And so when we think in concentric circles like that, it just gives us a, a nice way to think about the impact of our actions the uh, and, and from a deep ecology, ecological perspective. And ecology is simply the study of consequences. Um, few people think of, con- like, there's a, there's a concept called consequential thinking which mm-hmm. should be taught in every school in the world. Uh, because yeah. when we start thinking in terms of the consequences of our actions, uh, we can bring our actions into better alignment with what we really want to create uh, instead of the uh, non-intended consequences that might flow from our actions. Right? You know, then in the Eastern schools of thought, there's a lot of talk about karma. Um, and uh, in Western thought, we don't think about karma as much. But uh, and when we think of karma, we think of it energetically, but there's actually very pragmatic reasons why karma actually is a real thing. You know, right. if you act, if you lie uh, in the context of your relationships, that's going to come back and bite you at some point, um, kar- karmically speaking, from an energetic perspective, but also just because. A lie once out there, once it's found, you're going to pay the the price for that. You're, there's going to be some sort of price that you pay. And and I use a lie as an example of a harmful action that we might do that we might not recognize the full impact uh, and eventual impact of that lie when we do it. But there's going to be an impact. And and when we go through our lives unconscious of all the ways that we're acting in harmful ways, eventually those things come the you know come back to roost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So true. So true. So um how does a person create breakthrough financial results? What's the secret to doing that? Um I you know, I think for me there's there's a when the word elevate pops into my mind. And so when we elevate our thoughts and uh, we we begin to take conscious control of what our focus is on in our life when we elevate our states of mind and emotion. You know, if we're living in anger, sadness, fear, hurt, regret, regret, resentment, those are lower vibrational states that repel success. People don't want to do business with us if we're angry and resentful. They don't want to be around us. Whereas if we're feeling enthusiastic and happy, and so we start to elevate those states, we become more magnetic for people and resources and opportunities. So we elevate our thoughts. We elevate our states of mind and emotion. And there's there's ways to do all this. It's, it's not, um, there's techniques to use. Um, when we elevate the types of actions that we're taking, when we elevate our behaviors, as we were just talking about, so when we elevate the whole package of these things, the way that we show up in the world, the way that we're being, we become more magnetic for the people and the resources. And that's one way to have breakthrough financial results is just to change the way we're thinking, emoting, showing up in the world. Um, but then there's other things that we can do as well. You know, my belief is, is that um, there is, uh, we were born for a, a reason, for a purpose. And, and many people sell out in life. They do what they feel they should be doing rather than what's really in their heart and following 
that kind of that voice of God within. And when we align with our true purpose, we that that helps to give us the propulsion toward creating something that's even greater. So aligning with our true north. Um, there's other things that we can do, like reverse engineering success, finding great models out there in the marketplace and 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 breaking down how they created the results that they did so that we create a template, we create a roadmap to get to where we want to go faster. So there's a number of different things that we can do uh, to help us to accelerate our results. There's a lot of uh, talk in the marketplace about 10xing your results, but you may be in a place where you're banging your head up against the wall or you're climbing up a ladder only to realize that it's leaning against the wrong wall. And when we when we get in, in divine alignment with what we're meant to be doing and we impl- apply some of these principles that I'm talking about, you can not just 10 inch your success, you can 1,000x. You can, you, can, uh, you, know, you can put yourself on the map when you wouldn't have been on the map otherwise. And, um, and so there, there are secrets that can set us all free. Sure. So if someone is just starting out, um, what, what do they do? Like everybody's got to start somewhere, but what does a person do? And they have no idea what they want to do with their life. Um, I, I think that, you know, there's, for me, I've, I've developed a methodology that I use to, uh, to tap into my true north. And um, like, I've got a, a program that I'm about to do. It's called wealth propulsion. And um, I've got free tickets to it at wealthpropulsion.com, but it may be by the time people listen to this, it might, you can always go to wealthpropulsion.com and you may find that, you know, if, if not this one I'm about to do, I'll put the next one up there. Okay. But in that, on the first day, one of the things I look at is um, how do you, how do you put yourself in alignment with that, which we, you're really meant to be doing? I believe that if you live in the space where your talents and your passions collide, that's a magical place to live. And it, and it helps from a manifestation perspective to live in that space. So then uh, it's an introspective process where you look at where do I get my greatest joy in life? What have been my moments of greatest joy? What, have, what are my greatest talents? What do I love to do the most? Um, and when you start to look back through your past and look for those things that make you come alive and, and you listen to your heart in terms of perhaps writing down what your ideal day is and you then, and you look at, uh, you, 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 you get into alignment with your passions and your talents and you look at what's in your heart of heart and your soul of souls in terms of what you want to create it, it helps you to define the path that you're on and define where it is that you're headed. I find that many people get in their own way and they start, you know, they start saying, well, what should I be doing or what makes sense or where can I make the most money? And so they start thinking in a rational way about what should be more of a, a feeling alignment and, a, and an alignment with your soul's purpose. They say the bridge between uh, the conscious mind and the unconscious mind is the intuition. So listening to your intuition, your unconscious mind is the body mind. It's the other 95%. Neurobiologists these days say it's only 5% of who we are that one would consider to be conscious. So you've got your conscious wow. mind, but then you've got the other 95% of who you are. And when you can get into alignment with that 95% and really listen to your intuition, uh, it's kind of the direct path to your, your soul. And, and for me, there's this deeper level soul's purpose that when we align with that, that's where the magic in life comes from. There's a book called The Alchemist. Did you read The Alchemist? 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I got the audio book too. And oh. uh, it's read by, uh, just had a mental blank, but. Is it uh, read by the author got, or? No, um, uh, famous actor. He's got a wonderful voice. Uh, older guy. It'll come to me. Yeah. The great reading book, is just yeah. so incredible. The, yeah. the reading is just so great. So I've listened to the audiobook four or five times. Yeah, that's probably um, the short answer is to read that book or listen to your audiobook, right? And so the alchemist, Paulo yeah. Coelho, it's all about following your personal legend, doing what you were born to do. And there's there's magic in living in that space. Uh, it, it's been said that if you're not passionate about what you do, you'll never stick with it long enough to be truly financially successful because we all go through ups and downs. There's going to be, and there's challenges, whether you take a job you hate or you do what you love, you're going to find challenges. Uh, money comes and goes, bank accounts come and go, businesses rise and fall. Um, but if you've got, if you're on the right path, that's going to give you the ability to weather the challenges that come up. And so I think living in that space and in the book, The Alchemist, uh, Paulo Coelho, the author stated that when you're following your heart's desire and you're, you're living your personal legend, then every moment of every day becomes a moment spent in the embrace of God. And I, and I love that philosophy in terms of an overarching philosophy of how do we, you know, how do we live our best lives? Um, that's a, that's a good place to start. Definitely. Definitely. So once you've um, figured out what your personal legend is going to be, what is the fastest way to build a business around that, to build a dream business? Um, for me, it's been said that the most important question you can ask yourself is who's your competition? Um, because that defines the playing field you're going to play on. It defines the type of game you're going to play. And so the first thing I'll do with a business owner uh, who's looking to build their dreams or, or, or accelerate their success is I'll have them identify the top three competitors. And some people don't like the term com competition, so they could think of it as sources of inspiration as well. That's another way to think of it. And rather than a competitive analysis, you can do an inspirational analysis. But, uh, you know, there's, there's different schools of thought in terms of what's the most important part of a business plan. My personal feeling is that the most important part is your competitive analysis or the inspirational analysis, if you will. Uh, because once you understand that, you understand what's been working and it increases your level of certainty as you're building if you've got a tried and true working model um, that you can use. Also, that competitive analysis allows you to not just replicate what's out there, but to reposition yourself in relationship to what's already existing in the marketplace. So if you know what's really working, um, you can find uh, through you know what's called a SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. You can find where the opportunities are to position yourself in a unique way. Um, there was a book called Positioning written by Trout and Reese that talks about the, it's the battle for the mind. How do you own a dominant space in the, uh, space in the mindset of the consumer? They said that, you know, when somebody's in the number one space, the mindset of the consumer, that's a very hard spot to dislodge. So Coca-Cola, for example, owned yeah. the dominant space in the cola uh, realm in the mind of the consumer. Yes. To become the next Coca-Cola is very, very difficult. It's going to be very difficult to displace number one. So then you get seven up that becomes the un-cola. They reposition themselves in relationship to what's already out there. Now, 7up can learn a lot by looking at Coca-Cola's model, their business model, their distribution model, how they, you know, how they run their business, 
7-Up could put themselves on the map and create a plan for certainty by looking at an existing cola out there, but they also don't just want to come out and be the next cola. They want to reposition themselves in relationship to that. So that's why I think that the competitive analysis is the most important part of a business plan because it allows you to create a plan for certainty, but at the same time also think about how are you going to position yourself uniquely in the marketplace so that you can own a dominant uh, space in the mindset of the consumer. I think when we do those things, that's the that's the first step that somebody could take. Because probably the biggest question that I get from people that are looking to launch businesses is how. I don't know how. I don't know how to launch the business. I don't know how to get the money. I don't know how to put myself out there. I don't know where to start. And unfortunately, yep. or fortunately, but like we have so much, we're we got so much information out there online. You know, we got fifty thousand, actually more than that, fifty million different ways to build a business that we're being bombarded with. There's all these different things that one could do. And people go out and, you know, the metaphor I'll use sometimes is uh, you know, the, the, the world is trying to tell us, do this, do this, do this, do this. This is how you build your business. Everybody's got their own vested interest in the solution they're giving us. You know, this person's wanting us to go build in social media. This person says you got to go do ebooks. This person says you got to launch a podcast. This person says you got to do this. You got to do that. These are the things you got to do. But, you know, everybody's got their vested interest in telling you their solution. Right. And ultimately what people end up doing is they go out. It's kind of like if you wanted to build a house and the world tells you, well, you need to have a toilet in the house. Well, yeah, you do. So somebody goes, oh, that's what I got to do. I got to go buy a toilet or oh, right. I got to buy a sink. They said you can need a sink in a house. Oh, you need a window. Well, that's not how you build a house, but that's how most people go about building their businesses. They're taking right. these solutions as they come in. They're buying it by piece and piece. That's not how you build a house. You, you hire, you have the dream, you hire an architect, you do the blueprints, you hire the building team, the toilet, the sink, all those things will come, but they've got to be put in in the right order and sequence for you. Right. So, so most people are just desperately grabbing the solutions thrown at them and whatever enters their consciousness rather than stepping back, getting the right pieces in place. And so for me, if I'm working with a business owner, it's like, no, let's step back. Let's put the blueprint in place and let's look at what goes in and what fits in and let's build the methodical way. Um, any dream that you have, you can build and it's not, uh, it's not rocket science, but it's, it's common sense, but sometimes common sense is not all that common. And, uh, and so, yeah, I would, if I'm starting, you want to get your competitive analysis going, you want to get your business plan or your blueprint going, uh, yeah. and then you can build anything that you want. Yeah, that makes sense. It's really important to understand how uh, competitors, successful people have done it. You can pick and choose, you know, the way you want to go. But if you don't know what you're doing, it's really important to get educated and figure out, you know, how to create that blueprint to start with. Yeah. Um, by the way, the uh, the narrator that I love of The Alchemist is Jeremy Irons. Oh. He's a British actor. Yeah. Uh, he played the lead in the TV series The Borgias. I don't know if you ever saw that. I know Jeremy Irons. I don't know the TV series, but I know Jeremy Irons, yeah. But his his voice is amazing. So if you love The Alchemist, I encourage uh, you to get the audio. It's uh, four, four and a half hours. Oh, that's great. So you could do it in a couple of days on a walk, and uh, it's inspirational. That's fantastic. Yeah, I actually designed a seminar. I teach a seminar called uh, uh, Design Your Destiny that was built after The Alchemist. I created it surrounding that concept. 
And, and, and I actually built it for me. I didn't build it for the world. I was in Hawaii. I was at the big island of Hawaii at the Hilton Waikoloa, I remember. And I got that book and I was reading it and I was just lying in the hammock. And, and I thought, you know what? I want to ingrain these principles and do it through. And, and so I designed this whole training path. And it woke me up like after that point where I started installing these principles, my life became truly magical. And then I started teaching it as a seminar and, and rolling it out to people. But it was all based around that book and the principles inside there. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So what are, what are some of the common reasons that people fail in building a business? So you gave it, gave it some great principles on how to build a business. Yeah. We know uh, most business, right? I don't know if most, but a lot of businesses fail. Yeah. In spite of great intentions. Right. So what, what are some of the common reasons? Well, I think that uh, interestingly enough, when we say how to that, that that's going to help us deal with a lot of reasons why businesses fail. They, they're, they're trying to build peace and piecemeal. They're, they're grabbing at solutions out there. Um, you know, what, if you look at uh, what, what statistics would tell us, they say that most businesses fail due to a lack of cash flow or capital but I would submit to you it's a lack of passion, first and foremost, because, you know, cash flow problems are going to happen. They're, yes. they're like that, It's part of life. Um, but what allows you to weather those problems and to get creative rather than caving is the passion and the belief in the bigger vision and where it is that you're going. That's so... For me, once again, you go back to the solution of being pointed your true north is the thing that allows you to, to weather those those tough times. I mean, look at Elon Musk, who's the richest person in the world today at the time of us doing this. And um, he had times where uh, just a couple of years ago where they were saying that Tesla was going to fold and that they were going to go out of business and where he was sleeping on the floor in his office and staying there 24 hours. I mean, what causes somebody to do that? Besides yeah. insanity, you know, um, <laughs> uh, which which he could have a little love, too. But, um, it, you know, it's the it's the love of the dream. It's this greater mission that he's on. It's this greater. Uh, and that's what allowed him to weather those times. And so, you know, the being point that you're not going to get that by doing something you hate. You're not going to get that by doing something you feel you should be doing. Right. Where you're, you're, you're checking in and checking out and just waiting and watching the clock run down and you're out. That that's a completely different mindset. Uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Go ahead. It reminds me of uh, Steve Jobs, who I used to follow a lot, and he said that. He said, "If you don't have passion for it, you'll give up because it's just too much work." He said that uh, money problems happen, uh, stress, employee problems. Things come up, and if you don't love it, you just quit. Because why? Why would you do something that you hate yeah. when it gets tough? It's easy to do something you don't really like when it's easy, but unless you love it, you're not gonna you're not gonna stick with it. Hundred percent. The tough times. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, it's like um, it, it, somebody said, if you hate if you hate what you do, eventually you're gonna suck at it, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. And, and, and uh, conversely, on the other side of the on the, on the flip side of the coin. In The Alchemist, one of the things they say is that love is what makes all things great. Love is what transforms lead into gold in our life. They, it, when, you, when you love what you do, you'll pour your energy into becoming the best in the world. And if you're the best in the world, there's always a market for you. Mm -hmm. uh, 
so so it's it's that passion it's that love it's being on the right path it's doing uh falling in love with the process all those things yeah excellent so the last question i want to ask you before we um tell people how to find you but what do you do when you hit rock bottom so what's happened to you it's happened to me what what's the first thing you should do when you've hit rock bottom um, you know, when I hit my rock bottom, there was actually a, fa- there were three phases of transformation for me. The first phase was to, re- and I don't know that the first phase is a necessary phase for everybody. It was necessary for me. Uh, okay. so my first phase was I had to release attachment to everything. And I don't know that that's necessarily the solution for everybody, but we go back to our addiction uh, model and we say that if you go into rehab, they're going to take away your drugs. They're going to take away your alcohol. So they get rid of the source of your focus. For me, what I was addicted to was work and my business and my brand. So I had to release all attachment to those things in order to deal with my intolerable internal world. So that was the first step mm-hmm. for me. That's not necessarily the first step for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it just depends on what their rock bottom includes, but they may need to release their attachment to certain things. Okay. Um, so the second step for me was to focus purely on my emotional state because I could, when I hit my rock bottom, I couldn't, I wasn't believing in big dreams. It wasn't this big purposeful dream that was going to pull me out. Well, just imagine, you know, going out and succeeding again. I couldn't imagine succeeding again. I didn't know who I could trust. I didn't want to play in the world. I like, I would, I isolated human beings will tend to isolate in direct relations to the world proving itself to be hostile to them. So the world proves it's hostile. We'll start to isolate. We'll start to shrink. But whenever connection and communication goes down, so does creation. So if we're playing a very small game because we're isolating and we've hit this rock bottom, what we need to do is get back out again. But it's not going to be a dream necessarily that's going to do it. For me, it's just focusing on your states. And so I hit the lowest low and I realized that if I didn't change my states, my world wasn't going to change. And so So you mean like emotional, emotional, mental, mental state, emotional state. Emotional state, mental state. And so I just started, I started looking at what could I be inspired by today? And like, I, and, it, and it doesn't have to be big things. It can be little things. And I think that's the important right. part. I'm inspired that I live by the water. Okay. That's inspirational. So the moment mm-hmm. I, I, I start going, okay, what else am I inspired by? I'm inspired by the, the smell in the air, the, the ocean smell in the air, little teeny things. Now I'm feeling a state of inspiration. Um, then what, and for me, I was so pessimistic when I hit my rock bottom. I said, what can I be optimistic about today? I'm optimistic about the fact that um, uh, I'm getting some exercise because I'm taking a walk. I'm optimistic. And so I started looking for what I was optimistic about. Now I'm feeling inspired and I'm feeling optimistic. What am I enthusiastic about today? So I started looking for what higher vibrational states and little things that I could feel inspired by, optimistic by, enthusiastic by. Now I'm feeling these states and I started to anchor them into my day. Well, sure enough, as my vibration was rising, as my states were changing, people start calling me saying they want to do business with me. Opportunities start coming in because I'm becoming more magnetic. So the first thing that you, that mm. from my perspective, that one should do if you hit your rock bottom is start focusing on your states. Who are you mm. being today? There's nothing required. There's no evolution of consciousness. There's nothing you have to figure out. There's no justice you need to get if you just focus on who are you being 
And when, in focusing on that, you start to raise your vibration. Opportunities will start to come in. That started happening for me. Then you got to start looking at how do you elevate your behaviors? It all comes back to elevation. How am I elevating my states of mind and emotion and then elevating my behaviors? And when you start to look at that, uh, your world will start to change. That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about Redondo Beach? So I lived in Los Angeles for six months when I was 16 years old. Believe it or not, I visited maybe six, seven times. So I love love the area. I don't think I've ever been to Redondo. What What's it like? What do you, what do you love about it? Yeah, Redondo's kind of zen. It's like uh, we're about a 20 to 30 minute drive outside of Los Angeles uh, to the uh, you know southwest of L.A. So on the mm-hmm. beach. And I like Redondo. Redondo's kind of zen. There's, you know, the beach areas go Manhattan, then Hermosa, then Redondo, then it goes Palos Verdes, San Pedro, Long Beach. Um, Redondo's right there smack in the middle. Uh, Manhattan's a little bit uh, pricier. Hermosa's a little bit pricier. I happen to like Redondo just because it's a little bit bohemian. It's more like... Venice Beach, but not quite so bohemian as Venice, which I, I love Venice I as well. But I like that feel. It's got kind of an artistic Zen feel to it. So it's, uh, for me, a yeah. uh, perfect place to live. Um, I live on the water, so I get to see the dolphin out there once or twice a week. Uh, nice. That's nice awesome. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Chris, how do people get in touch with you if they want to learn more? Um there's, there's two things that I've got. So I've got that wealth propulsion challenge that I do. That's a free challenge that I'm doing. Uh, it's, um, if, if the challenge isn't happening at the time that you're listening to this, though, the, it's a permalink. So it'll redirect you to whatever we're doing at the time. So you can go to wealthpropulsion.com. That's one place to get a hold of us. Um, and then another place, if you're looking to amplify your message in speaking or, uh, you, you want to, uh, get your gifts out to the masses. I've got a free program at speak and grow rich, three, six, com. speak and grow rich, three, six, com. That's a 365 day program that you get that comes to you by email that helps you to uh, become a more prolific speaker and helps you to master the business of amplifying your message as well. So that's speak and grow rich, three, six, com. That's awesome. So I'll give links to the listeners for all that stuff. And uh, I'm going to check it out myself. Very and cool. we should have this live in a couple of weeks. Very cool. So uh, I've had a great time. I've yeah, glad I got up fun. early this morning, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. 6 a.m. <laughs> We're early risers. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank well, you. I hope you have a great day there in California. Thank and um, I hope to see you soon. Awesome. Look forward to it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Newtown Big Dreams podcast with your host, Luke Menkes, and his authentic guests. And we love our listeners and hope you subscribe now to learn more about the amazing journeys of our incredible guests who relocated to find a Newtown Big Dreams. And remember, make your dreams big. Thank you.